Magnificent Firebirds, we are so excited today because we have a very special guest with us, the historical romance lover of TikTok. Chels is here with us. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Chels, welcome. <laughs> I lurk on TikTok and um, I follow Chels. I follow you, Chels. We don't have to talk about you in the third person. <laughs> But what I will say is that I spend a lot of time talking to your face without you knowing. So, oh my goodness, that's exciting! <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be very natural for me. <laughs> and then forwarding your TikToks to other people and going, "Look how smart this person is." I'm thrilled to have you here. Welcome everyone to Fate of Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. And we are joined today by our very special guests. We're going to give them an, a chance to introduce themselves. So go for it. Um, hello. So my name is Chels. Uh, some people might know me from TikTok. Uh, my username is Chels underscore ebooks. Uh, I talk about romance novels, uh, particularly the old historical kind is my flavor of choice. Uh, I also have a Substack uh, called The Loose Cravat, uh, which is where I write about romance novels and publishing and romance and all of that jazz. Well, and some of those pieces have been published, like, in Slate. Is that correct? Like, I saw one of those. So it also feels really gratifying to me to have you be a voice for romance in the media because... I always just want someone who like gets who gets it. Oh, yeah, that that was exciting. Yeah, I think it, uh, it was originally on my uh, Substack, but someone from Slate reached out to me, and that was kind of an interesting process because she was like, uh, "Yeah, can you explain this for non-romance readers?" And I was like, <laughs> "What? <laughs> who are they? No, no. <laughs> Get with it, everyone. <laughs> Get on my level." <laughs> so. Later in the episode, we have a very special topic. We're going to be talking about duels, but uh, the I, best. I, <laughs> I've had a really fun week doing my doing my homework. Oh, um, did you name your seconds? <laughs> it's here. It's here. here we are. I, they're here. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but one of our favorite things to hear about when we have a guest is just like how they came to romance, right? Like. A, this is something we ask authors, but now I just love asking everybody, like, what made you a romance reader? Well, especially in your case, Chels, because you have such a rich, deep knowledge of the genre. So I'm really curious. Um, yeah, it might be surprising, might not. Um, so my mom, it's kind of the, in the mom, it's always yeah. mom. Uh, yeah, <laughs> my mom's the culprit. Uh, so she was a huge fan of, like, uh, uh, paranormal. So she really liked Christine Feehan and Sherilyn Kenyon. And she would like hide her books from me. Like every once in a while, she'd get a historical and that was like my thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was definitely my mom who kind of got me into them. Um, I don't think I really got like as intensely into reading romance novels until probably like three or four years ago or so. I'm just like a very like nosy person. <laughs> so I think like once I get an interest, it like kind of consumes me. Which is kind of what happened there. <laughs> and where did you start? So yeah, what were some of your first favorites? I think Lord of Scoundrels was probably the first one where I was just like, what the heck is this? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, books are allowed to do that? <laughs> so, so great. I think, uh, 
Yeah, that was that was one. I think um, another one. I when I got really into Laura Kinsale, uh, I think that was kind of a big turning point for me. Not just for um, her books, which are amazing, but for the cover art, because like uh, book collecting was kind of how I started out on TikTok. I would show oh. people the book covers, and I'd be like, "Look at this book cover." I would say other things too, but um, <laughs> that's the main thing. Um, cause I was really upset that I didn't really know how to order books, uh, yet it's a whole thing. There's an ISBN number, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I ordered, uh, the shadow and the star. And instead of getting like the Fabio cover, I got the one where there are people very far away in the distance. <laughs> um, isn't that the worst when you're yeah. so excited and then, well, lessons learned in book collecting. There are ISBNs, everyone, and you should know the ISBN for the edition you're looking for. And it saves you yeah. both money and disappointment. Yeah, I was so disappointed. Uh, I didn't even think I wanted to collect books at that point, but then my partner ended up buying me the Fabio cover because they knew I was sad about it. So that was kind of my villain. That is a real love language. Story. <laughs> my yeah. love language is original Fabio cover. <laughs> One of the things I've struggled with in this area is, I mean, I have a huge number of paper books, but I read a lot in E. Like, right? It almost feels like paper books are in some ways are collectible, but I mostly read ebooks just because they're with me everywhere. And I've really struggled with the automatic updating of the covers. Right. So it's like if there's a cover you have that the cover I bought, and then if it gets changed or updated, which again, rejacketing is something that happens. I'm in no way saying that's like an inappropriate activity. <laughs> but I am like, but that's not the one I want. I wish, I, you know, I, I hope at some point I can either I will like, say this, turn it that down. That is or, not a thing that authors at least have any control over. Oh, I'm over. sure. I'm sure. Because I have a self-published, just one self-published thing sitting out there. And uh, I've changed the cover on it. and. I I didn't have a choice to say. Right. Keep the old cover. Of course. Of course. Thanks, Amazon. Rude. Rude. Not terrible. Rude. Um, so you you like us became really into old what we call old school historical. <laughs> and then but but what's fascinating because I read your Substack religiously and I'm fascinated by it, you are also far more knowledgeable about the pre-1972 romance novel than we are. So um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you went backwards. Yeah. So I I think kind of a lot of my interest in like older romance novels is because people like to tell me about them and I think they're wrong. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so that's kind of like I would get comments on TikTok that were kind of frustrating that would frustrate me when I would talk about books and they would be like, oh, well, these were always like this, or we've come such a long way in yeah, this regard. Yeah, they were super rainy and, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, um, maybe you can make criticisms, and I would, but I don't, the way you're talking about it, I don't think you've read them, so I'm not listening to you. So I kind of have um, an interest in kind of, uh, I spend a lot of time reading, like, not just, like, trend pieces, but, like, listening to kind of what people are telling me and how they feel people have a lot of feelings about older historical romance novels because yeah. i think that there's a uh, a vested interest in romance uh being moral and some in some ways didactic 
And and that kind of proves the value of romance. So if we prove that we've come this far and we've proved this much, then then there's this huge. Uh, it's it's good for us. It's good for us to prove that. But I think that kind of like papers over a lot of troubling things that are happening continuously. And are, I think when we kind of like look at progress as being linear, we're missing a lot of like really cool things that people used to do. Um, we're like flattening the discussion. I think that's why I became a, a Chelsea fan because I, you know, a, a, a fan girl, because Jen and I have spent so much time over the years talking about how you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. But simultaneously, a lot around romance in modern romance circles, there are so many names that you don't. You can't say out loud, right? Like, we can never talk about Widowess because of, you know, the flame and the flower. But, like, that's an important text. And, you know, she wasn't, it wasn't just the first hundred pages, right? And those first hundred pages are doing a lot of work that, you know, that maybe are, is valuable, in at least in my, in my mind. And I appreciate that so much that when you talk about older romances, you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I think that like having like a certain level of honesty about it is so much more interesting to me than just saying that things were bad then and things are good now because yeah. and you're also not being honest about how things are now. So what who does that serve? To me it seems to serve like the continuing sort of cultural narrative that like these books are not worth anything, right? And so if you can prove or like claim I mean, I don't think this is even an original thought. Like, there's always like a, a, a like a bellwether bad thing that is ten years old, right? So it was like now it's like Fifty Shades of Grey was so terrible, right? And then when it was Fifty Shades, it was like Fabio covers are so terrible, right? And I and I wonder a lot about why it is, yeah. Like it's not only just like throwing up the baby with the bathwater, but almost like being a will like a willing accomplice to that kind of narrative as long as we're talking about something that happened in the like the previous generation of romance readers. I'm also really fascinated. I think you sort of walked us all immediately up to the TikTok discussion, right? Because I think um, one of the things that I've been really thinking a lot about recently, and I know others in the genre have been thinking about, is this idea that, as you said, when we when we sort of say, like, that was old romance and it was bad, but new romance has solved all these problems, right? We are, as I love, papering over mm -hmm. what's going on in modern romance, which is, it's very fascinating to me because I think TikTok, when I look at, and I'm not active on TikTok, but I endlessly scroll in the middle of the night like so many of us. And so when I look at what is happening on BookTok, Many, many of the books that seem to be bubbling to the surface and then hitting the bestseller lists, you know, becoming, you know, huge, huge books in the genre now in 2023 seem to have, in many ways, a lot of the characteristics that we, that some of us are papering over, right? That part of romance is saying that's not here anymore. And then another part of romance, a huge number of readers are also reading, say, dark romance, which has so much of that content that. Right we're pretending doesn't exist anymore. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. I don't know what the question is. I think the question is, you know, what's happening on, what is the compelling piece of that that is 
that is working so well on TikTok? It's so interesting because, like, I think romance TikTok, uh, I think, uh, Jenny, you kind of alluded this to this a little bit earlier, maybe before we were recording, but like uh, the way that people feel about romance novels and TikTok are a little bit intertwined. And some of the TikTok hit pieces that have come out recently, one was in uh, British GQ and one was in the London Review of Books. And both of them had a Mills and Boone dig. Yeah. Like, isn't that funny? Uh-huh. Like, both of them. An ancient dig. I dig we've heard yeah, yeah, right. 50 years. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you're not at all creative. <laughs> Whether they want to admit it or not, like a lot of times when people talk about TikTok books and TikTok users, they're kind of talking about romance readers. They kind of obliquely reference them in a lot of ways. And then when you mention that, they're like, oh, we weren't saying that. <laughs> so I think, um, so there's kind of a, like a lot of concern about like, um, and this is kind of comes up a lot with Colleen Hoover, which we know yes. Colleen Hoover does not primarily write romance novels. She's a multi-genre author, but the, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people talk about her and her books as if that she as if she just writes romance novels and that her books are dark romance. Like people talk about her books being harmful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's uh there's kind of a lot of like there's a little bit of a moral panic around some of the books that TikTok that are popular on TikTok. Uh but it's kind of as you mentioned, Sarah, it's like very similar themes like people are interested in like the spectrum of human behavior like um i think that there's a way that you can critique books without like trying to make it into this big huge like i guess moral panic is the right word about so i think it is the right word yeah well and i think for us in america that relationship between the moral panic about these books and then what we see happening in like libraries and and school libraries, right, where people are are literally, like, they're—I mean, you know, it's like, it seems to me like they've eradicated, like, sex from the movies. And now, like, it's like, can we get rid of them in books? Can And and so I do—I think that there's a lot of it at its core almost always seems to be about, like, sexual liberation. Maybe that's, like, too broad of a statement. I think people could kind of tie it together because there's— um there's like a lot of fear about like queerness and porn and uh, um, it's just kind of any kind of anything that's considered deviant. Yes. Um, but a certain group of people is usually is usually kind of the first things to go. Um, so I yeah. And on like a larger a larger scale, it's like definitely not romance. It's like the books written by certain types of people. Um but people kind of tend to hyper-focus on TikTok itself uh, because it's uh, the dancing app for teens and they want to they watch us dance. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Juniper Butterworth, author of Shipwrecked, being a tale of true love, magic, and goats. And everyone, this is the first in the Sea Goblin series. Juniper Butterworth is back. Yes. She sponsored our episode a while back with her Goblins and Cheese series, um, which was also about goblins. And uh, at the time, I started following her on Twitter. And now she posts this very relaxing, like, cheese content where she makes different kinds of cheese and posts pictures online. And it gives me a lot of joy. And so we will put... Links and show notes to how you can also follow her for her excellent cheese-making content and also goblin art. But 
back to this. This is Sea Goblins Book One, set in Sea Goblin Village, which is a very sort of quiet, relaxed, groovy place, uh, which is upended by the wreck of a pirate ship in the harbor. Telep, our heroine, wrangles magical goats for a job. She rushes down to help the crew of this pirate ship, only to become instantly smitten with the dashing Captain Heron. I love it. Who, Heron, poor Heron, she's been navigating one disaster after another since her twin sister Haven gave birth to a rare goblin baby who is presumably magical or, you know, of interest to lots of baddies. And now Heron just wants to get back to her job raiding, you know, dreamstone caves and collecting enchanted items. So she has no intention of one-night standing uh, with Telep becoming anything more than a one-night stand. But she has a great one night, uh, except suddenly, afterwards, the captain's niece, the baby, this magical baby, is kidnapped by goats and taken to a magical pocket world. And the pirate and the goat wrangler are going to have to work together to rescue the baby from, quote, Learning the worst manners possible. Listen, this is the first novella in a new humorous but sexy queer fantasy romance series. Readers have described it as adorable and deeply weird. And in the best Amazon review I have literally ever seen, the title is whimsical with a side of what the fuck. And I mean that in the best way possible. Yay. Listen, I'm going to read it immediately. If you are interested in finding out more about Shipwrecked, you can check it out on Kindle Unlimited. Please support Juniper Butterworth. We thank her very much for sponsoring this week's episode. There's a community of readers who have found each other on TikTok who have a common who have common genre interest, right? And I'm not just talking about I'm not talking about romance broad. I'm talking about there's like dark romance TikTok and like erotic romance TikTok and you know academic romance TikTok. And so it feels like a natural extension of there was dark romance Goodreads and historical romance Goodreads and, you know, whatever. And now it feels like younger people or people who are, as we become more tech savvy as a as a society, makes sense that it would become video that is the thing that we all kind of participate in. Um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, how about discovery on TikTok and how, um, how you find a community there. The algorithm is kind of inscrutable um and and it's kind of a cause of a lot of like frustration and uh but basically um when you uh on tiktok there are two feeds there's the following page and the for you page uh when you follow a lot of people will follow people on tiktok and then never look at the following page again and spend most of their time on the fyp which for you page uh and that is where uh your videos get pushed out and once they get like a certain amount of traction with your followers, uh, it's gonna they're gonna put it on the FYP, and that's where you reach a broader audience. You can uh, people who don't follow you see your videos if you show up on their FYP, um, and so that's kind of why TikTok posts feel very ephemeral. Uh, you have to consistently be posting in order to consistently get that engagement, get out there. It seems like. Uh, 
growth is more of the focus for the app itself. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people on BookTok are resistant to being pressured, like mm. that implicit pressure of yeah. doing that. I would include myself in that because I do everything wrong. Like I don't <laughs> use sounds. I have all my videos are three minutes plus. Like I, you know, I'm just like, I I can't. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Um, but uh, yeah, finding your community. So there's kind of you, the more you interact with a certain type of content video creator, the more that you're going to see that, which is why I I have some hate watches. I see those people every day because I'm just, uh, <laughs> and that's my fault. I could just block them. Um, so yeah. And so once you start like interacting with like a hashtag or people's videos, you see more and more of them, you kind of start to form a community. Like if you're posting, they're posting, you're commenting, they're commenting it, you get kind of like, um, you get kind of this group. So I'm, I'm pretty heavy in dark romance, TikTok, um, which is kind of like bodice ripper, TikTok, dark romance, TikTok. Yeah, sure. I'm saying that as if there's anybody else on (laughs) bodice ripper, TikTok, except for me. (laughs) The queen, the queen of bodice ripper TikTok. <laughs> Sometimes people will come in, they'll be like commenting to stay on bodice ripper TikTok. And I'm like, dude, that's me. That's just me. Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, there's one. Yeah. It's like a Highlander situation. <laughs> come over. We'll talk. <laughs> there should be bodice ripper TikTok, though. Where are you? If you're out there, follow Chell. Going to find the people you want more often than letting it tell you what you want to watch is going to be the best thing to do. As always. Yeah. You do have to be kind of intentional about that. And there's also, like, TikTok is not perfect by any means. It can be actually pretty scary in a lot of ways. And something that comes up, uh, probably should come up more, is that the algorithm has been accused of being racist. And I think there's good evidence for that. Um, TikTok has also admitted in the past, I think in like 2019, of like hiding content from disabled creators. So it's uh, not a level playing field and nobody knows anything about their algorithm except for TikTok. So uh, I think it's just, it's just kind of like one of those things where you can, there, if you want to find something, you kind of have to look for it because if you rely on the algorithm, you don't know what it's going to spit out at you, even after training it a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. That's good to know. So there, I think, is a narrative uh, in publishing and maybe kind of coming up that, like, you know, TikTok is now what sells books, right? Or that TikTok creators are now the people that sell books. <laughs> and it's just like a really fascinating the way it feels almost like um, it's shifting responsibility for what sells from like marketing departments to just like TikTok. <laughs> and I don't, I know that I've yeah. seen, Chels, I've seen you tweet about sort of the illusion of sort of in some ways like that TikTok is just the driver of book sales and it's all this is really complicated and like very strange, I think, as just someone who loves books to kind of feel like, well, wait, what's going on here? Yeah. So I don't think there's any strong evidence that TikTok influences book sales the way people tell us they do over and over and over again. The like underlying source for book sale data in the United States is NPD Bookscan. Um, okay. Melanie Walsh has this article called Where is All the Book Data and Public publicbooks.org. 
uh, that is really great at kind of explaining this. Um, but BookScan is actually where you get a lot of the flyers where that start all these trend pieces about um, book talk being like this huge, uh, this huge influence in book sales. And what they've put out is really extremely limited. They're just like dinky little graphs that don't really mean anything. And then they're like, look, a correlation between two things that aren't super related. And I think that it's kind of interesting to me because like BookScanned, their primary goal is to prove their value to publishers. Oh, I guess I should have explained. Uh, so BookScan is um, their subscription service uh, that's only accessible by publishing. So if you're a journalist or an academic, you cannot get granular, comprehensive book data. Uh, and that's something that I learned from Melanie yeah. Walsh's article. Right. Um, and so... Yeah. So what they do, though, is they do give spoon feed journalists uh, uh, kind of like big, broad picture stuff. They say, here's a, a graph and it's because of book talk. And then you kind of are supposed to believe that. And something that nobody ever talks about, really, is that the rise of book talk and the pandemic happened <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> right. And so the New York Times in 2020, like what they, um, I think they were talking about Snoop Dogg's memoir. And what they were saying is that new writers in the early days of the pandemic were struggling so much, but uh, bestsellers and books by celebrities were doing really, really good. And so when you look at the book talk books of that year, um, like uh, I think it's Colleen Hoover, Lee Bardugo, Taylor Jenkins Reid. They had those big bestsellers that like, kind of like goes along with what they were saying was happening. So you can't really attribute that solely to book talk. I'm not saying that book talk didn't influence it because it totally could. But I just kind of question, I question why people are so invested in proving that book talk sells so much. And I think that I think you kind of mentioned this, Jen, that they're maybe trying to like take some of the blame away from their decisions. Like, I don't know. It's kind of like if publishers won't market your book, then you have to market your book on TikTok. Or if publishers aren't going to promote books by author of color, it's because BookTok's not doing it. And you can't really hold BookTok accountable because BookTok is a is siloed it's uh an app of people with different ideologies like i do there are a lot of people on book talk that i want nothing to do with right yeah can't really organize them like that and we're also hobbyists yes and i just want to say and this is sort of a small tiny little piece in the corner but not everybody is good at this <laughs> right. at book talk <laughs> right? Not everybody, the same way not everybody is good at Twitter or not everybody is good at Facebook or Instagram, not everybody is good at BookTok. So if you're out there, authors, and you're getting emails from your publisher that say things like, well, maybe you should start a book, a, a TikTok account. And that sounds like something you'd rather crawl into a ditch <laughs> than do. Don't do it. Yeah. It seems like the person who has cracked the code on authors being on TikTok and and really succeeding at it is somebody like Tessa Bailey, who just clearly loves making little videos every day. So if that seems like your thing, go off and do it and have fun. But, oh boy, write your next book, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly <laughs> Make right. Make it as good as you can. Now, 
my really big question here, the important question we've all been waiting for, is there a dueling TikTok? And if so, what are they saying about romance novels? Look at this transition time. Chels is very, very excited. I don't, I have like, I have like seven or eight dueling TikToks that I want to make, but I'm like, I'm waiting for this episode to drop. I'm like, like, we're going to get this all out at once. Yeah. Yes. Now that we're <laughs> no, doing I'm, our homework. I know too much. <laughs> like, I, I looked back at the initial email that when we were talking about duels and I was just like, the way that I was so flippantly <laughs> referring to dueling process, I didn't know anything. I was a fool back then. <laughs> yeah. But now, now I know way you more. You read all the books. <laughs> I know. I think the thing that kind of broke me is I found out that deloping is not honorable. Like, I thought romance novels yes. convinced me that that um, was... Um, excuse me. Yes, I discovered that too in my research. And I've written a deloper. <laughs> Thanks, Georgia Hair. <laughs> I came, I'm sure we all kind of came across the same things, but you know, this whole list of like I I I ended up finding a lot more about like American duels, like, but you know, the code duello is is this what we're talking about, right? Which is like covering the practice of dueling and points of honor was settled in 1777. And it is this very long, extensive list about. Okay, wait, you guys. What wait. happens? I was Pause, confused. Everyone, we we're now down a rabbit hole. Our listeners are going. <laughs> what's eloping? Okay, what's happening? Explain. We were talking about TikTok. Okay, okay. So now comes the part of the of the episode that is an interstitial about dueling. Chels selected it themselves, and uh, because we said, "What do you want to do?" and this is what they asked for. And so here we are. We're ready to go. Um, we are going to talk about dueling and romance. I expect most of the books we talk about are going to be historical. I'm going to go on record saying that's probably the case. I had like a brief moment where I thought, should I find like an example of like, you know, two dudes just fighting? And then was like, no. you know what? No, Nobody no. in contemporary romance same. is taking off a glove and throwing it to the ground. There are no pistols at dawn in contemporary romance. <laughs> um, and we should talk about why that is. It's a disappointment, to be honest. Um, so, it's the death of honor. Yeah. Let's talk about dueling. Chelsea, it sounds like you have done a great deal of research. So, I'm going to toss this softball to you. <laughs> um, tell everybody about dueling. Oh, <laughs> just what like everything. What is a everything? What is yes? What is a duel? So a a duel is uh is a um it's a fight with intentionality between gentlemen. So you can't just shoot somebody and it be a duel. You have to kind of declare your intention. I'm in going to shoot you. Yeah, I'm going to shoot you tomorrow morning. Yes. In front of this other guy. Yes. And a bunch of people who haven't been to bed. I mean, who just all rolled out of the club and into the park. Can I read to you the best description I found for dueling in my research, which was from J Store Daily, which I don't know if people out there... Oh, my God. No, listen, I don't know if everybody realizes the glory of J Store Daily. So J Store is a huge humanities database. So if you're just doing, like, random research, like, chances are you have maybe hit JSTOR, but they have an amazing, it's called JSTOR Daily, where they write some sort of article every day 
where they like kind of dip into the JSTOR archives, and it's usually related to something that is happening in pop culture. So it's a really like actually a super fun Twitter account. And often when I'm like doing random research, I come across a JSTOR daily article. And in this case, it was last year at this time, and it was in response to, they wrote an article about dueling in response to the slap, which is what happened at the Oscars. So, you know, he sort of wrote a whole article about dueling and what they found in, and he found in JSTOR. And he described it, this author, as dueling is a highly codified one-on-one act of ritualized violence. And I was like, there you go. That's a nice definition for it. Sure. It is. You need to send a letter. Like, it, it, guts, it, so there's yeah. a far, they're dueling codes. There are rules. Right. Yeah. And those rules are codified in, Jen, what's it called? The Code Duello. Is that what you found as well? There are different ones in different countries. Yeah. So they're kind of like, because uh, they it kind of varies a little bit depending on the year and uh, where your location is, I suppose. Um, y- but you yeah, know what would have been great? Codes. When gentlemen, when young gentlemen go on a grand tour through Europe, they would be delivered prior to that. So a grand tour is when you come of age and then your rich family sends you on a trip <laughs> through Europe. Like, go see all the marbles that have been taken. Anyway, so you go and you you experience all the cosmopolitan cities of the... Of the, the continent, of, right? Of the continent. And on your way there, you are given these small leather-bound books, and they are largely a list of sex workers who you can visit and their particular specialties. And they were often bound and given to young men so that they could go places. Would be awesome if they also included the rules of dueling, the code duello in France at this time. Sure. That's anyway it's a lot of information. It's good to know. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. I'm just shivering. No, it's amazing. These are important books. In fact, uh, for those of you who watch Harlots, uh, Harlots is actually based on a piece of nonfiction written by Haley Rubenhold. I'm pretty sure that's her last name, um, which is based on, which is a, a piece of nonfiction about these particular books about sex workers. Wow, that's interesting. Anyway, I'm just, I'm just sharing, yeah. giving you all more information. They wrote all this stuff down, right? Yeah, there are lots of uh, pamphlets about dueling behavior, and there are a lot of pamphlets for how to properly behave as a second, because Ooh. that's actually more important than the duelist's behavior Well, they do themselves. all the works. They do. They're the wedding planner of the duel. <laughs> they do everything. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, yeah. So, the second, so it's pretty much you um, You challenge someone to a duel. You cannot duel right then, because if you duel right then, it's like murder, basically. <laughs> It's pre- it needs to be premeditated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has to, which is kind of like a paradox. So I read this. Um, it's so interesting because, like, if you you would think that making it premeditated, you are more likely to get charged. But juries don't want to convict someone who has followed dueling code. So even though you're doing something that makes you look more guilty, the juries are going to be like, "Well, he was so honorable, right? A noble scoundrel." I would also like to shoot someone who said something bad about my sister or my wife or whatever. Now, the other thing I would point out is this is the business of the aristocracy. Regular folks did not have to participate. They don't have time for this shit. (laughs) 
they are they have jobs and food and health care yeah, to pay like, for. <laughs> this is about social capital, right? Like I'm proving my honor as a gentleman. I'm proving my honor as a uh, proving my worth and my value that I'm like following these rules of society or whatever, right? Aristocrats would use that to get out of dueling sometimes, too. Someone would challenge them, and they'd be like, ah, but you aren't a gentleman, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> so I don't <laughs> have to do that. Perfect. Yeah. That's interesting. It's actually kind of a big thing that happens in uh, The Duelists, the Ridley Scott movie. Like, I think they're both, like, they're both gentlemen in Napoleon's army, but, like, when they aren't the same rank, they can't duel. So um, they're telling Dubair, like, you got you to get up in the ring so this, like, wily, squirrely little guy leaves you alone. Like, that's Harvey Keitel. I mean, the, the best. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a lot of rules. In romance, however, we have been taught, we have been taught the rules of dueling probably by Georgette Heyer, let's be honest, who made up a lot of stuff. And one of the things that we have been taught as romance readers is that all the time, People did something called deloping, which means they would get to the they would get uh, to the the park at dawn. There would be definitely mist happening, and the you know they'd walk there however many paces, and they would turn and they would throw away their first shot. They would shoot into the air or shoot off to the side, and that was their you know, way of saying that this is, we've acknowledged that neither of us are going to admit wrongdoing here, but we're also not going to, we're not in the market to kill each other. And this is our sort of way to, I guess, wave away the possibility of a hero being a murderer, I think. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Heroes kill a lot of people also in in romances. And look, maybe I'm wrong here, but it feels like, okay, so if dueling is a product essentially of like, I'll say toxic masculinity, right? Uh, would it is that possibly true? I don't know. I'll just throw <laughs> that out there. This is not something your average romance reader buys into, right? So it's like we want so it's like the characters are acting based on like one set of social mores, but that's not what the readers want, right? This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Mila Finelli, author of Mafia Target. You all have been waiting for this one, book number four in the Kings of Italy series. I sure have. So in book number one, we meet Fausto and his oldest son, Giulio, was supposed to be, right, like the intended groom for the, for um, Francesca, but... He's gay man, part of the mafia, and at the end of the book, he sort of, like, exits that life, and we just, like, wish him good luck, but he is back. And he has uh, uh, essentially been sighted, and so Fausto's enemies send out an assassin named Alessio to get him. So there is this huge game of cat and mouse between the two of them as Alessio chases Giulio throughout Europe— and they end up in a small Scottish village together where they have, like, a nice romantic interlude before more mafia assassins come to find them and take them down. I love it. Yes, but together they are determined, essentially, to, right, even though Alessio has been hired to kill Giulio himself, he's like, I'm not going to that, let that happen. These two band together. They are going to just oh, set the whole world on fire and each other with it. 
Well, I mean, we are avowed Mila Finale fans here at uh, Faded Mates. In fact, she is joining us next weekend at Faded Mates Live in Brooklyn. You can still get tickets for that. That's a little aside. <laughs> um, but if you want to read Mafia Target, it came out this week. You can get it as part of your monthly subscription to KU or in ebook from Amazon or in print. So thank you, as always, to Mila for sponsoring the episode. Can I ask a question? Are there is there a list of things that you can't that are acceptable reasons to duel in these codes, or can it just be you made me upset? Anything, anything. It's anything from like you slept with my wife to uh, did you hear about the duel that was fought over billiards? No, oh, really. But do you want to? Yeah. So, oh, you want to know? Yeah. Okay, yes, please. So it's like two French guys. It's two French guys, Lenfant and Melfant. Um, they're playing billiards. Uh, they start to fight over the game. Um, they name their seconds over the billiards table. The seconds are like, hey, why don't we duel with the billiard balls? So they draw to see it's to throw the billiard ball first. Uh, one of them draws, gets the red billiard ball, and throws it at the other guy's head. And then that guy dies on the spot. Death by Billy Ball. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, see, now listen. This was also had to do with the fact that there was not a whole lot of fresh water in all these cities. And so they were just <laughs> drinking all the time. All the, yes, all the things. <laughs> Definitely. The, they were drunk. Think of yeah. this as just endless bar fighting. <laughs> so here's something. I did find this one little fact that I thought was interesting, which is like during the reign of George III, which is, you know, Big romance time in his world. The one. This is our guy. He's our guy. There were. I know that guy. I know that guy. (laughs) One hundred and seventy-two known duels. Known. That's the important one. Right. But that caused sixty-nine fatalities. I mean, this is like a pretty like if you entered into one of these things. That's well because did you know you couldn't wear in England you couldn't wear glasses (laughs) to your duel unless you wore glasses all the time. So there was. There was one of the rules. So, you know, if you don't wear glasses all the time and you're whatever 20 paces, which has to be some number of a fair number of yards, I think, away from each other, you can't see very well. Also, those guns, they weren't great. (laughs) And also, if they're fighting with billiard balls, what are the odds? What were their seconds thinking? They were not. They were drunk. They were, yeah, they were, they were drunk. Yeah, because the second, uh, the role of the second is prime. Their first job is to stop the duel from happening, which is something. No. Uh, billiard balls. Yeah, that did not happen there. That actually kind of gets me into romance a little bit because in a lot of heterosexual historical romances, the heroine takes that primary role of the second like she's like hurtling to the field screaming no duel and i'm just yeah it's 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 I've like it. because you need that you need that moment for because there's kind of a level of intimacy between the second and the coolest but you are you're writing a romance novel you're like i'm not trying to like hook up with the second so i gotta which would read no honestly i mean kj charles where are you at <laughs> that's what i want Joanna Chambers has one, I think. Oh, nice. Enlightened, where the the second is the love interest. Nice. Perfect. Um, yeah, so, but also there is a certain, it layers in this, what were you saying, ritualized violence, yes. Jen? Right. Ritualized violence is compelling in romance novels, clearly, right? 
This is why we have an entire subgenre of contemporary romance centered around MMA fighters, right? This right. is why we love a bare-knuckle fighter in historicals. This is, I mean, like, ritualized violence is birth, birthed by toxic masculinity, for sure. Um, and there is, at least in, in heterosexual romance, some... The duel is often based in some sort of uh, desire for the hero to protect the honor of some woman in his life, which is an interesting, I mean, that's a fundamentally, right? You can't get away from that as a thread, a theme in in romance heroes over the years. Yeah, it's, like, super weird, right? Like, this is, like, the virginity fights, essentially, like, to me in some ways. And I was thinking a lot about, have you all read Chronicle of a Death Foretold by Gabriel Garcia Marquez? Yeah, so in this book, it is, it's not quite a duel, but it's very similar. They're The Vicario twins are in their village, and their sister has gotten married. And after the wedding... She and the groom go off, and then he comes back in the middle of the night with her and dumps her on the doorstep and is like, she's not a virgin. And so her brothers essentially forced her to say who it was. And the whole rest of the book is these two brothers are going to kill this man, Santiago. And the whole entire time, you as the reader and the people of the village, it's a really fascinating book. I love it. And it's short. It's only maybe 200 pages. Are pretty convinced that Santiago not only did not deflower this woman, but literally is like probably never talked to her before. And so it really does do so much more with like how wild it really is that like the thing that is driving their like you know, we're going to go kill him in this, like, right? Like, we is her honor, right? Like, somehow she's defiled the family, and therefore we have to, like, it's, I don't know. It's, I, I found myself thinking about it a lot as I was doing, like, my research because it's so different the way it plays out in that book than sort of the kind of toothless way it it is in romance instead, right? Well, because really what you want in that case, if you're talking specifically about men not, like, peacocking around, <laughs> right, related to a dishonor, a, a, mo a moment of dishonor for a heroine, whatever that means, you want the hero climbing over the billiards table and just taking the guy down, right? I mean, that's the, that's the... I'm ashamed to say Fundamentally, that, yes. right? As though, as, when I say you, I mean you, Jen, and also <laughs> I mean most romance readers are looking yeah, for that kind of, like, I, I crime of passion. I know, I'm like, sorry. Yes, I hate it, and I, toxic masculinity, and also give me more. I know. Chels, we're really trying to behave here, but we're just oh, basic no. trash. I'm, I'm fascinated. <laughs> this is great, is how I meant that. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> like, let's be with the spyglass. So maybe you could tell us, though, so what is outside of this, you know, basic desire to see, you know, this. What is the appeal of the duel for you? Yeah. Um, so the duel for me, um, I think that there's like a lot of like really cool character stuff that you can do with duels. Uh -huh. Um, I think kind of like the uh because like honor is so nebulous and it it has a lot of meaning to people and can be very personal, but it's also a way that you can just like keep someone underneath your boot 
Um, so that's uh, something that uh, just the way that like uh, the ritual of it, the I think I was initially drawn to the glove slap to the face, which is also something that doesn't happen that often because most duels happen with a letter instead. Um, but like kind of in the romance novels that I had been like reading about duels to kind of see kind of like why I liked them so much, a lot of the time they would have like a sort of character reveal about the heroine, even if she wasn't participating in the duel. Um, The way that she interacted with uh, the hero in order to either get him in that position, which is usually the ones that I would be reading because I'm reading the older ones, Uh (laughs) or or to try to extricate himself from that position and like how that how that works because it is a lot of a lot of thought into like the 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 hero's journey. I think that actually means something, and I'm just saying it. So I apologize. I'm saying that as in his no, literal lowercase. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. lowered, lower <laughs> <Yeah>. that case. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I don't know if I could talk yeah. about one that's Tell me. kind of like this. So please, um, let's do it. Yeah, so one that I was thinking of, and I love this book so much. Uh, so it's. The Flesh and the Devil, and it's a 1980 bodice ripper and gothic gothic romance by Teresa Dennis, uh, who's she's the pen name of uh, Mills and Boone editor Jackie Bianchi. I think she died in the 80s because uh, she wrote two books. Um, so this book is set in Spain right after the Inquisition, and it begins with the heroine Juana being sent by her family to marry the Duke. And so she's very young and beautiful, and she's also really angry because she had a childhood sweetheart named Jaime that she was intending to marry, but Mm -hmm. now she has to marry the Duke. Um, So uh, even though she's engaged to marry the Duke, she's her love interest is this guy named Felipe, who is like this scarred, inscrutable Englishman. (laughs) Yeah, no, plot twist. He's the real, not really a hero because it's a bodice ripper. He's a very bad man. Um, but he's he says like everything he says is very metal. So that's... <laughs> I love it. He's like he's like a servant, but he, everybody's afraid of him. So he's an, and so you know the that he's best. there's something up with this guy. The yeah, best. he's not really a servant. <laughs> romance is so great. It's unmatched. Oh, romance is unmatched. <laughs> That's honestly my favorite thing is the servant that everybody's intimidated by. It's just yes. like something's up with this guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's him. Uh, so it, the duel actually happens between Felipe and Jaime. And Jaime was the guy, if you remember, that she was initially yeah. obsessed not with. Not the Duke. Not the Duke. Uh, not the Duke, yeah. So Jaime comes to Juana's rescue. He is acting as the knight errant of her dreams. Uh, but he ultimately makes himself foolish by challenging Felipe to a duel. And then when they start to duel, uh, Jaime cuts him with the sword. Felipe hasn't drawn yet because Felipe's not scared. <laughs> and then uh, Jaime sees the blood on Felipe and he turns tail and runs. So this is like a huge moment Howard. for yeah, I know. So scared. This is a huge moment for Juana here because this is um the because this is a bodice stripper and a gothic romance. So a lot of it is about like her descent into becoming someone meaner and worse than she initially thought she was going to be. And so uh, this duel is like the final blow to Juana's hopes for Jaime, uh, who is someone that she still holds a candle for. You find out that. Um, Juana is just a little bit more, and Jaime is just a little bit less. 
Um, so I thought that was just really so interesting. cool in the way that, yeah, the way that, uh, and then also this book is like post-Inquisition Spain. So there's a lot about like the um, kind of uh, hypocrisy of the Catholic Church. It's like a big thing in Teresa Dennis's books. So how they deliberately met out violence and then hide behind this layer of morality. And that's Jaime in this book. Like he yeah. is the one who initiated duel he's the one who cut felipe he's the one who's like it's for honor but he who's the violent one yeah right uh uh-huh. yeah the heroine's journey lowercase <laughs> <laughs> one of the ways that i um and sarah and i i think both do this is like i've read a lot of books so Sometimes I'll just be like romance novels with duels and like look for the lists. And then it's kind of like, oh, I've read this. I've read this. Right. So it's kind of like the way that I will like do my research. And I found that that list does not exist. So maybe that can be like an action item for us. And so I couldn't I couldn't really find like a list. Even on Goodreads, I was having trouble like really just like books with duels. So then I was like, well, okay, how am I going to remember these books I've read? So I went back and then just started Googling essentially like old school authors plus duel, right? So it was like Joanna Lindsay, books with dueling, you know, Amanda Quick, books with dueling, Jude Devereaux, books with dueling. So I could kind of like just like gather and make a list. And then I basically went to see what I had in like what my local library had because I am, I'm sorry, a little outraged by paying, you know, $10 for a Joanna Lindsay book that's 25 years old, but that's like a me problem. It's fine. So I ended up reading a Joanna Lindsay. I read a couple of different books, but I read an old Joanna Lindsay book called Make Me Love You. Now, I am sure that when I read old Joanna Lindsay books that I've read them before, right? Like, I'm like, I've definitely read this. Like, right? But at the same time, it's been a long time and a lot of books perhaps millions of pages since then. So it's all new again. And in this book, I was really fascinated by it. Um, The hero's name is Lord Dominic Wolf, of course. And he has, uh, he has challenged Robert, this guy Robert, to three duels in a row. And everyone in town is basically like, what the hell? Who is it that, why Why is this happening? Like, no one knows why. He keeps challenging him to a duel. And so the prince regent rolls up and is like, your family is needing to fix this by marriage. So Robert's sister is Brooke. Brooke is going to have to marry Wolf in order to, like, make this go away. And if that doesn't happen, right, if that doesn't happen, then um, I get to take, like, your money. <laughs> I don't know. Like, the Prince Regent apparently was always, like, blackmailing people into, like, doing shit that then if he would, like, that's what I would do. Yes. Yeah. Like, right? I will take your coal that mines. I will take your coal mines if you do not do this thing, dumb thing I've told you to do. <laughs> and I think the thing that I was really fascinated by was the fact that in— th- and it takes a while for Brooke to figure out why they were dueling in the first place, why Wolf wanted to challenge him to these duels— but then also it took a little bit of a of a why, like what happened, like why three times? Because the other thing I'm really expecting in these books is that like the dude is going to be an awesome dueler. Like I'm really good at it. Everyone fears me. No one would want to duel with me because I will kick your ass or kill you or hit you on the head with a billiard ball. But in the first duel, he injures Robert slightly enough that it should have like 
made him feel like I won and therefore my honor is restored, but it doesn't. So he challenges them to a second one where they both miss. And then after the third one, Robert injures him in the upper thigh and Brooke arrives and is like, was he trying to like unman you? (laughs) Like basically, (laughs) right? Like was he shooting at your, you know, junk on purpose? And he was like, no, we are both really bad shots. And I was like, what's happening in this book, right? And so the whole book is her trying to discover why the duel happened. And she essentially, like, spoiler alert, since it's an old book, um, she, she reads his dead sister's diary. And and he she was pregnant. And he, she thinks, and Wolf thinks, tried committed suicide rather than face this. And that Robert was the father. And that he, like, cruelly, you know, like, had done this. And, of course, like, throughout the whole book, you find out all this other stuff about whether or not that was true. But I was really fascinated as I was reading it by starting off with a, essentially, the duels have already happened, right? Uh, and then we're starting yeah. off with him being, honestly, kind of bad at it. And it was fascinating. The whole thing was fascinating. I don't know what else to tell you about it, except that it was really wild to read. So that's really interesting because I think that there are, in the structure, using a duel. Charles, in your book, where was the duel? So this was kind of a rare one in that it was like a bit midway. Uh, okay. Most of the time when I read them, they're at the very beginning. And I call those duel interrupted because that's when you, is usually yep. what happens at the beginning. Yeah, that's my, that my recommendation or my, you know, the one I want to talk about uh, is a duel. is. I love that duel interrupted. Um, although, to be honest, I feel like almost all duels and romances are interrupted in some way, as you said, to put the heroine on page. Yeah, or, yeah. In a, at least in a het romance. Um, so structurally, it feels like starting with the duel is literally starting with a bang. Yeah, right. You're you're dropping the reader into the story. You're immediately setting up the hero to either be very skilled at what he does or not very skilled at what he does or noble or a scoundrel, whatever. however the duel progresses. And then the other option uh, is to put it right at the end, right? It becomes part of the climax of the book. There's, it's, the, it's the final test of the relationship in largely because it is about him having the hero having to reconcile, you know, his single emotion <laughs> for the heroine. <laughs> my feeling. Right. One ah feeling. <laughs> it hurts my feeling. And um so I think so my the book I want to talk about is Mary Balog's uh More Than a Mistress, which is part <laughs> of her mistress duology. Have you read this one, Charles? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating because I, Mary Ballard writes, she's such a careful writer, and she her books are so deeply emotionally invest, invested and so romantic, but she does not waste feeling. Like, she's not like me, like, all over the place with drama. She works so hard to articulate feelings in like a be- in beautiful steady streams. Um, and so her characters, one of the ways she does that often with her heroes is she makes them so completely impenetrable at the beginning that they are 
it is almost impossible to imagine that they will ever feel a feeling. And not in the same way as the Lindsays, the Garwoods, the Devereaux, where they just seem like animals who then have to become a human. Her heroes are almost always just so gentlemanly and proper that the idea of a feeling messing up their cravat would be just too much for them. <laughs> um, this book begins with, literally begins first sentence. We are in the middle of a duel. There are seconds. We're in a misty field. They're in Hyde Park in a corner. There's like a reference. To, she's, Mary's clearly done a bunch of research. There's a reference to the fact that like, you really should be doing this at Wimbledon Commons because that's where there's more privacy. But like here, everybody's rolled out of wherever they've rolled out of. Um, and they arrive, and um, he has the he, the hero Jocelyn has um, he has been with another man's wife, and so right off the off the bat, it's sort of a this guy's not he is not a a great dude. He's not great, um, but he's clearly very handsome, clearly very powerful, clearly very skilled. This is not his first duel. He is uh, he has chosen his second. There's a lot of cracking dialogue in the first you know chapter of like him being just dry and one and you know clever um he is starts the duel with er, the duel begins there's a lot of discussion like what's going to happen and then suddenly out of nowhere a servant girl just comes screaming into frame going <laughs> wait no stop stop this and it seems as though she just doesn't, she just doesn't want there to be a duel. She's like, this is not sensible, whatever this is. Um, he is distracted by her, not because she's beautiful, just because she's there. In fact, I think, I mean, she's, she's just yelling. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's yelling. She's there. He does not like this woman uh, instantly. But he stops because lady or girl or Whatever. Disruption. Mistress. Woman. Right. Yes. And then uh, he gets shot. The other guy who is trembling. Like, you are led to believe this is just yeah. nonsense. The other guy is trembling. He fires the shot, shoots the hero, Jocelyn, in the leg. And he refuses to, he doesn't even move. He, like, takes the <laughs> shot and stands like marble. Right? And does not, like, he could get shot in the leg. No problem. Do it again. And then he raises his gun to the sky, delopes, and everybody's like, <gasps> all of a sudden, <laughs> just everything goes crazy. And then he calls this girl. He imperiously, the phrasing is so perfect. He, like, reaches out his hand and imperiously summons her to him. Then uses her to lean on while he goes to his horse. Because in the surgeon, there has to be a surgeon at a duel. The surgeon is like, oh, we'll have to take this leg off. He's like, I'm going to call my own doctor. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's uh, right. The all, surgeon has to the be way, there. By the way, guys, this is three pages. I'm not even on page four yet. It's just, it is the cracking the speed that this is going at. He gets on his horse. She's, you know, at his ear telling him, like, how stupid dueling is. He's at her ear going, shut up. Let me <laughs> lean on you. Gets to his horse, climbs up onto his horse, and promptly passes out and falls off. He needs a nurse, y'all. Of course. He needs a nurse for three weeks of recovery in his bed. <laughs> and so what more is there to do? She owes him. She is the reason he has been shot in the leg. And so 
She becomes his nurse. And then at the end of the three weeks, she doesn't want to leave him and he doesn't want her to leave. But he can't admit that he doesn't want her to leave. Sure. So instead, he says, well, I do need a mistress. And she says, this is for all of you who loved a, who like a contract in a romance novel. She's like, well, okay, but I need a contract. Good. <laughs> Listen, don't agree to be someone's mistress without a contract is the lesson that I have learned from this book. <laughs> legit. Legit. If I remember correctly, like, wasn't she, like, really intense about, like, she was, like, oh. he was, like, why do you need all that? And she's, yeah. like, why do you need a mistress? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think that she, I mean, like, that is one of the, before you said duels, I would have said, this is a contract book. Yeah. Because that's one of the, the clearest memories of this book, of reading this book, was how much of a businesswoman she was. He's like, <laughs> you're, you're a woman with sexual needs. And she's like, yeah, but I want it on paper, how this all goes. So smart. The other thing that I love about this book is that um, he gives her a house because she's his mistress, and she walks into it, and she's like, and it's, you know, it's a very well-appointed house. She walks into it and she's like, ugh, this was designed, this is designed for as like a sex den. <laughs> and I think she even calls it sleazy on page. And he's like, what do you mean nobody's ever complained? And she's like, everybody loves I'm get the red satin sheets. Get it. I'm going to complain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sounds great. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. Oh, Mary Bailey so, knows I the mean, job. she's great. She does the job. That's amazing. All right. Chels, do you have, I have other ones, but Chels, I know that you must as well. So you want to? Give us another one. Sure. This is my um, favorite part, like the talking about the books part. It's yeah. been a delightful week of reading for me, by the way, doing all my dueling romance reads. Yeah. No, this is this is super fun. Um, I guess I had another one that was uh, kind of similar to The Flesh and the Devil um, in that it was like another like heroine's journey, duel interrupted. Well, no, this one actually happened. Uh, the Pride of Lions by Marsha Canham. But I think maybe... I'm going to do something different where the heroine actually is in the duel. Um, so yeah. this is Moonstruck Madness by Laura oh. McBain. One of my favorites. <laughs> Before you do this, do you have the original of that book? Because that has most yes. gorgeous with the horse and the... Yeah, and the Tom Hall cover. Yes, I oh, do have that one. Gorgeous. We'll make sure everybody, when you look down right now, you'll be able to see it. And then I'll put all these, like the original yeah. covers on the show notes, I promise. Yeah, it'll be. It's it's quite pretty. Um, so yeah, Sabrina Varick is the heroine. And so she had just survived Culloden Moor and come to England as a young teen with like her brother and sister. And her dad is a Marquis, but he's like ignoring his children and he's ignoring his estate. So she is starving, basically. So she needs to take care of uh, her brother and sister. And so she decides to become a highwayman named Bonnie Charlie. As one does. Amazing. Why aren't there more high women? <laughs> well, the funny thing, too, about... Because, like, Sabrina is already... She's still a teen at the beginning of the book. And it's like, she's been doing this for five years. I was like, how small is she? <laughs> just tiny little high women. Don't, don't worry about that. Shush. Yeah, just... just we'll, we, don't, we don't think about that. We don't... don't she, how does she hold the gun? Like yeah, I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> She had a growth spurt very early. <laughs> so she robs a party that the Duke of Camaray is attending. And so this Duke is like a starchy, foreboding figure with a scarred cheek. And she steals yes. his gold snuff box and then threatens to give him a matching scar on the other side oh. of his face. 
And so a few days later, the Duke stops to assist people who are having trouble in the road. And then he gets held up by Bonnie Charlie again. Uh, so Bonnie Charlie slaps the Duke when he gets mouthy. And the Duke is really angry at this. Um, he ends up setting a trap for her, uh, pretending to host a party in hopes that she'll try to rob him for the third time. And she does take the bait, even though, like, her henchmen guys are like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Seems kind of fishy. And she's like, no, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, she, she shows up. There is no house party. Instead, the Duke is uh, is holding a gun on her, and then she's holding a gun on him. And then he's like, why don't we fight with swords? Which is what happens when you're holding guns on people. You're like, well, this, we could do this all day. Um, <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? And I well, hate, again, it's premeditation. I hate to interrupt you, but one of my favorite scenes in all of movies is the dueling scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Where the guy has like his big like swashbuckling sword and Indiana Jones just like pulls a gun out and is like and shoots him dead. And I was like, (laughs) I like that a lot. So, yes. Sorry. Same energy. It it could have been you, Bonnie, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't. So he he, and he literally says to her, like, no one slaps me and goes unpunished. You may not yep. be much to look at, but you're a vicious little fellow. And I think it's about time you learned a few lessons in manners, which is hilarious. And then she threatens to cut the other side of his face again because she's hilarious. Well, now she um, has a sword, so can do yeah, the job. She's a like, gun she's won't like, do that. Yeah. She's she's like, remember this promise. When I stole your <laughs> snuff box, I'm coming back for you. <laughs> so they fight. He stabs her, and then he's like, aha, and he unmasks her. And then he's like, oh, my gosh, this extremely tiny, beautiful, funny Charlie is a woman, beautiful woman that I now have to take care of. And I'm like, gravity-defying hair. Of course. Yeah. And he, you know, kind of becomes obsessed with her. But something that I think is quite funny about this, and I I keep trying to make every duel queer, and I realize that, but I think that their duel was a courtship, and he, you know, he didn't know that she was a woman. So, I, yeah, I I see it. And I, I don't know. I just like that one a lot. Um, That book is kind of, I don't know what I was going to (laughs) say. I like that duel. (laughs) <laughs> I, you know it's funny so i also have one that is a um that is like the woman involved in the duel now i'm gonna call this more like a romance short story i don't even know if i would call it a novella and it was in a um an, an anthology called royal bridesmaids back from 2012 so i was really like this is not that old but you know, in a romance generations, that's my grandma. So um, it had uh, three short stories or novellas, by one by Stephanie Lauren, one by Galen Foley, and then one by Loretta Chase. And actually, I actually found myself wondering, I wonder if I went back and looked, I wonder if the actual pub date was earlier, like if this is just when it hit, like the ebook or whatever. And so in this anthology, the Loretta Chase story is called Lord Loveden's Duel. And in this... um. And it's really short. I mean, there's, like, the duel, essentially, and then, like, happily after. The main, Chloe Sharp, her sister is, you know, they're from, like, the merchant class, so they have a ton of money. And her sister is marrying some European aristocrat, right? Like, she's, the money is going to save the, you know, his castle or whatever. And she and her sister are, like, you know, sisters in her her dress or whatever, and they overhear a bunch of, like, aristocratic jerks 
sort of essentially saying this is, you know, the only reason he's marrying the sister is because of money. And, you know, her sister's heartbroken. She's like, I really, I thought he loved me, right? And Chloe's like, he he does. Like, don't listen to those guys. And she, like, gets her sister calmed down and happily married. And then she, like, flounces back into this, like, drawing room full of men. And she takes, she slaps the guy in the face, which I really liked. The guy who was, like, really shit-talking Lord loved in. And she essentially is drunk herself, right? So this is like, you know, she's like been drinking really good champagne all night because this is like a fancy wedding. And she challenges Lord Loveden to a duel. And he is like, you know, a full of ennui. But all of a sudden, this very interesting woman is in front of him. And wow, who is this spitfire, right? So he says they exchange, Sarah, you would love this part, some very like, sexy letters, right, where he says, like, okay, I'll meet you tomorrow, you know, sends her a letter, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 7 or whatever. And she's like, what are you talking about? I was drunk, you know? And she, he's like, no, you have to be there. <laughs> Name your second. And, like, it's really cute. Like, they're, like, sexy oh, little letters, tool. right? Sexy letters. And he's, he tells her, he's sexy like— Sexy murder letters. Sexy murder letters. Just trust me and pull the trigger is basically how the letters end. So the next morning— he brings out this pair of, like, very strange-looking pistols, and it turns out that they are singing bird pistols. And this is, like, a real thing. I watched this video on, like, the Christie's auction website, right? And it's these, like, now million-dollar, like, gold pistols where when you pull the trigger, instead of a bullet popping out, like, a little bird pops out and sings. And so it was like a gest- a romantic gesture, and she's delighted by it. And they fall in love and live happily ever after, even though, like, they dueled. And it was honestly, I was like, this is fucking cute. It was really cute. And these pistols are really cool. So, um, yeah, I was totally like, you could tell her in Chase, like, actually listed the link. Like, she, you know, in the author's note, was like, this is a real well, thing. Loretta's famous for that, for finding an item in history that existed. It, that's the dance uh, card in Lord of Scoundrels. Yes, the, the fan fans. where people wrote the names. That's a real thing, and um, that she discovered in like some obscure house in England. It was so. So anyway, it was super cute, and I was like, "This is an adorable little story," and it's available in ebook, which some of these old older like you know books really aren't so like they have digitized it and it was like two bucks and I was like that was like worth my two dollars to read this cute little story so um that was really it was also these dueling pistols are really cute and I just want to know where the people are that are making cool things now well it's really cute (laughs) it's really cute I get tweets and messages Probably every every few months from people who have stumbled upon the nude duel, the topless lady duelers. Um, do you know no. about this? So in 1892, two Austrian noblewomen, uh, Princess Pauline Metternich and Countess Anastasia uh, Kielmansegg, were had an argument over this is Chels, here we go. <laughs> And an argument over the floral arrangements for the Vienna Musical Theatrical Exhibition. Oh, I told you seconds were wedding planners. <laughs> you called it. <laughs> it turned critical, and they decided they were going to uh, to to duel. They the doctor now because they were women, 
all the seconds had to be women and the audience could only be women. Men were not allowed at this stool. So the doctor also had to be a woman who uh, was about, happened to be a baroness. Um, and they all traveled to, you know, they, it took some time to get this stool organized. This was not like tomorrow morning. We need, we need women in all of these positions. So let's do this. And the doctor who arrived said, well, I'm just going to be honest. I'm concerned if you fight with swords and the swords go through your, the layers of clothing that you are wearing, if anything gets into the wound, it could fester. So the solution that these women all came up with was, let's just take our tops off. So they fought in skirts. Like the Amazons. Yeah. I mean, listen, no notes. I mean, you want to queer a duel. Here it is. That is a queer. That's so funny. Also, there's another duel that I was reading about that's kind of the same thing. His name was like Humphrey Holworth. He was like a surgeon and MP, and he showed up to the duel naked. And the other guy's like, why are you naked? And he's like, well, if you shoot me and the clothes gets in the wound, it's going to get infected. So I'm not going to wear clothes. Listen. And the other guy's like, why don't we just not duel? <laughs> what? Yeah, um, well, that'd be one way to get out of it, right? I don't want to duel a naked guy. Well, I will just say this. This is, this is you're going to love this, Chels. So <laughs> the seconds allegedly. Now, here's where it sort of all goes into, well, I mean, as though we're not in alleged <laughs> land already. Alleged territory. Here's where for me here. it goes yeah. into alleged territory. No, this is all Apparently, true. Apparently, the seconds fainted. And then the cries of all the ladies, because they they had both they both drew blood. The seconds fainted at the sight of blood. Both of them terrible seconds, by the way. Yeah, I mean that seems to be like the the only job of a second should be sure stop the duel. And if there's faint. blood, don't faint. Yeah, yes. clean it up. And then the cries of the crowd brought the brought servants rushing who happened to be men, and they were quote beaten back by the Baroness, the doctor with her umbrella who. As she shouted, avert your eyes, you lustful wretches. Oh, my gosh. I believe that's true. I do believe I that's believe true. I believe that to yeah. be true. An, an umbrella baroness doctor? That seems right. Yeah. So, if you can't beat a man with an umbrella, what's even what's the point? What's the point of having Why are you even at a duel? Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I have one more to talk about. I bet Charles does. But, Sarah, do you want to talk about nine rules? You wrote a duel. I wrote a duel. Uh, it was a climactic scene. Yes, uh, duel. The uh, um, well, if you haven't read this, listen, that book is very old. If you haven't <laughs> read it, then I'm I'm about to spoil it for you. Yeah, the premise of Nine Rules is that a heroine kind of makes a list of all the things she would do if she were more than you know what the world thought of her. And one of the items on the list is attend a duel. And the hero, there is oh, it's over. This is my first book. It is full of all the things I loved in romance novels. <laughs> Every trope I could possibly have loved, I packed into this first book as though I would never write another book again. <laughs> um, and so, over the course of the book, there is, of course, like a kind of smarmy, villainous person who makes a bet with the hero that he can't win the heroine. I mean, literally all tropes yeah. that you, that I loved, um, are in this book. Uh, and ultimately that, that smarmy character insults the heroine and the hero feels the feeling and says, pistols at dawn. I don't think he says pistols at dawn, but he basically says pistols at dawn. They get there. He has every intention of deloping. Or no, he does not. I can't remember who has an intention. 
the bad, the other guy, Delopes, as the heroine is screaming across a field. <laughs> Shell. Right. I mean, like, no original ideas here. Uh, she's running toward them. The the villain, villain, Delopes, to the side, not up. Um, and then, of course, the hero sees that the heroine might get harmed, so he drops his gun and runs to save her and gets shot. And then you'll never guess what happened. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I put a bullet in his shoulder, and then the, the professional love, I think, is as the surgeon is trying to dig the bullet out of his yeah, right. shoulder. It it's hurts. It's the best time to do it. <laughs> yeah. Gets your mind off the pain. <laughs> into a different type of pain. I mean, just digging around in there. Oh, it does sound terrible. Mm. I was like, you know what? This really reminds me of something. <laughs> exactly. The feeling. The, it all When you only can feel one feeling, Charles, yeah. it just, they all feel the same. Yeah. <laughs> like pain. I just had a thought, and this is, I can't believe we haven't talked about Hamilton. And I still oh, want to yeah. talk about romance novels because I have one more. But I, well, can I yeah. say something about Hamilton? Please which do. Is, I thought there would be more duels in mo- more recent romance novels because of Hamilton. Yeah. But that does not seem to be the case. It's harder to find a duel in a modern romance novel than I expected. Yeah. They seem to go, have gone out of fashion, like dueling itself. Yes. Right. Well, yeah, I think that's why I felt the same way. Well, and that's why in the letters in the Lord Loveden's duel, they kept signing off your obedient servant. And I had a moment where I was like, oh, did they write this after Hamilton? And then I was like, oh, no, maybe that's just how you signed off it if you were going to duel somebody. Maybe Lin-Manuel Miranda read read some romance novels. I think he read the actual Hamilton letters, but fine. Maybe both. Duels are courtship. Yeah, it's a yeah. special kind of nutball guide, though, to, like, go out to the actual dueling field where his own son died dueling and do some dueling. Like, that's the part where it really broke down for me, all that information. In New Jersey. In New Weehawken. He had to cross a river. Yeah. Strange. Okay. I think because it was legal there and not in New York. Right. Isn't that it? There, it's all these legalities, too. Also, we should talk about the fact that dueling was, in fact, illegal. For, yeah. Like, in the 1700s, it was outlawed, but... Didn't stop anybody. Yeah. Chels, you have another? Oh, a book? Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to circle back to the one that I was skipped earlier because um, I love this one a lot. Um, so my friend Emma has this thing where she categorizes heroines and this heroine falls into a category called Emma Woodhouse experiences a consequence. Um, <laughs> and that's actually like one of my favorite types of heroines. So she's like a total brat. Uh, in the beginning of this book, and she's super unlikable. It's amazing. So it's uh, The Pride of Lions by Marcia Cannon. Uh, And if you haven't read it, it's kind of like A Kingdom of Dreams meets Outlander. And I mean that as both praise and criticism. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So this is a Scottish man, English woman uh, pairing set during the 45 Uprising. Uh, Catherine Ashbrook, the consequence-experiencing woman, (laughs) is... uh, young and beautiful, and she's a huge snob and extremely careless with their people's feelings. So she has her sights set on this English guy. He's a lieutenant named Hamilton Garner, and he's hot-headed. He has no stranger to duels. He kind of uses honor as a guise to skewer people and prop up his ego. 
So Garner previously, one of those duels that Garner previously won was actually on Catherine's behalf. So she thinks that he has feelings for her and she doesn't know that for him it's kind of onanistic. So she bets her brother that she can get Garner to propose during a ball. <laughs> um, when she moves to approach Garner, she notices that he's really irritated by this other man. So Catherine is like, I'm going to make him jealous. So she decides to dance with this newcomer. Unbeknownst to her is a Scottish spy named Alexander Cameron, who is the hero of the story and her love interest. So Catherine knows that Garner is irritated by Alexander, and she she hopes that by dancing with him, she'll make Garner proprietary enough to actually go forth and propose to her. This doesn't go to plan. (laughs) Uh, Catherine and Alexander quarrel and kiss, and then Garner catches them while they're kissing. So to avoid culpability, Catherine lies. She says that Alexander accosted her. And so then Garner challenges Alexander to a duel. And Alexander is like, are we really doing this? Okay. Um, And so they fight the duel. Um, Alexander is less boisterous, but he's a lot more skilled. So he ends up uh, wounding Garner. It looks like Garner is about to die. And this is actually like Garner's villain origin story. He's like a huge villain in like the, the two book series. And this is like the very beginning of the first book. Um, because he... Losing a duel is his villain, villain origin story? Losing the duel and, and losing baby. the girl. Because the girl. he, like, it's not really... He doesn't love Catherine. It was kind of obvious that... No, but it's the principle of the guy. thing. Excuse he's me. Like, he's like, this 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 guy is just going to come here and going to take the thing that I didn't want? Yeah. How dare. Yeah. How dare. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so, going to be a villain for two whole books now. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. And so Catherine, she was just like, oh, I'm going to flirt with someone and make them jealous. And she's like, I'm responsible for a man being mortally wounded. <laughs> like, Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, it's kind of bad. <laughs> no, I just want to know how she feels. How does she about feel, it. though? She feels, she feels, she's just like, oh, no, I didn't think this would. Right. I didn't think me lying right. about this to the duel enthusiast would turn out any like kind this. of consequences. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. God, that's so great. So the the last one I read, and I it was really interesting. I read, let me make sure I have the right one because it was Dangerous by Jane Ancrance. Oh, a classic. A classic. And the, the funny thing, Sarah, as I was reading this, is I was like, I bet this is one of the dueling books Sarah loved. And the thing that's also interesting about this book is this, to me, a lot of um, these early, like, Amanda Quick books, essentially, right? I remember when I I read them, like, in real time in the 90s, um, feeling like, like Baby Jen <laughs> understood that the, they were really playing around with some of these classic romance tropes in ways that felt, like, really original and, like, like on purpose, like, kind of winking at me, right? Uh-huh. And part of that was um, the way, like, characters were named. Like, um, the heroine of this book is Prudence Merriweather. And I just remember at the time being, like, Prudence, like, are we for real here? <laughs> right? And And just, like, the way, right, that, like, it sort of played around with this. And so in this book, she knocks on the door of the Earl of Angelstone in the middle of the night because there is going to be a duel the next morning between the Earl and her dumb younger brother. So at a ball, 
the Earl asked her Prudence to dance, and they had a grand old time. And it's really interesting. None of that's on page. Because she, they ended up, you know, she's like a paranormal investigator. <laughs> and he's just, like, interested in her methods. And they had, like, what she feels was a very business-like conversation. <laughs> and so she knocks on his door in the middle of the night and, you know, you know, Tells, the, I think, the, you know, the butler to get him out of bed. And the guy's like, he's awake. What are you talking about? It's 3 a.m. Why would he be in bed? And so she convinces Sebastian, the Earl, to essentially, um, she's like, look, my brother is young and dumb and stupid. And he thinks he's protecting my honor. But we both know that nothing happened. So I'm going to need you to apologize to my brother and avoid the duel. <laughs> and Sebastian's like, excuse me? And she's like, come on, you're a man of the world. I mean, and it's so funny. There's a point where she's like, you're pract- you're practically 40. So, I mean, obviously, you're the mature one here. And he's like, I'm 35. <laughs> I mean, I, like, literally had such a great time reading this book. I can't even tell you. This whole scene, the same thing with the Mary Bellog. Like, it just starts with this amazing scene. And um, she's like, but you and I both know that you're not interested in me. And, of course, he's thinking, I am interested in her. Why? You know, she's this. It's terrific. So she convinces him. And she's like, I'm going to save my brother by getting you to apologize. And what's that? It's not going to even cost you anything. So he instead apologizes. Everything. And, and makes a mockery out of her brother, who continues to challenge him to duels. I'm sorry, you're such an idiot. <laughs> and he and Sebastian's like, no, thank you. So he's humiliating the brother. And of course, Prudence is like, this isn't what was supposed to happen at all. Aww. And they fall in love. And it's so great, though. But it really was, like, as I was rereading it, this was one, as I was rereading it, like, kind of all came back to me. And I just was so charmed by the whole, like, woman intervening, right, in a way that she thinks is going to, like, solve or fix this toxic masculinity problem. But instead, it just, like, ramps it right back up, right? Gosh, but how many romance novels have arrived at the heroine looking at the hero going, why can't you just apologize? Yes. You know, speaking of things that, Romance does over and over to prove a point. (laughs) Duels are never having to say you're sorry. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. It's true. It's like, I mean, it is like this fascinating thing, Because even when no one dies, like if nothing, no consequences at all from the duel, you still don't have to apologize. Now that's just cleared off the books and we move forward. Yeah. Well, here, I'll give you another quote from an article I read in the Smithsonian about how Andrew Jackson dueled 103 times and everybody knows he was a real dirtbag. Duels were fought in defense of what the law would not defend, a gentleman's sense of personal honor. The way the world has suffered for a gentleman's sense of personal honor. (laughs) Well, and this particular article was all actually about how it was about the American South and the antebellum South. How Yeah, we haven't even talked about American duels. Well, they would all—it was really interesting. Like, essentially, the article made the case that these Southerners would only would only battle each other because, pe- like, senators from New England, like, politicians from New England, like, wouldn't play their game. So all of these, like, all these dueling politicians—I mean, it's, you know, essentially you're dueling each other. And then they talk about how, um, you know, when Senator Brooks, like, canes Sumner in the Senate chamber— they, like, connected to, like, dueling. 
like the like the and I was like it was real honestly it was really fascinating and also like maybe it does still happen and we just don't know well okay I mean I all know. you have to do is write a letter <laughs> like you just have to tell them yes and then it's yeah as long as you tell them in advance it's like hey we're meeting we're meeting but it's also like there are little threats, but still, I mean, there's in that sort of high school sort of after Mimi after school, and we're gonna fight this out. Oh man, we should talk about those as if they're duels. Yeah, right. Exactly, <laughs> they are. <laughs> choose your because they do those those kids choose their seconds. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes in thirds and fourths. Yeah, like uh, and then also in early earlier duels, the seconds would also participate. Um, in the duel itself and in the violence. So in in the way, schoolyard, if your your friend wants to help you as well, a second. Wasn't there also a sort of rule among seconds? Maybe not, but I've always perceived that there was a rule among seconds that if the firsts couldn't do any, if something right, happened to, to the in, first, right? the second was there to take, to do the fight. No? I think... I think the idea was that something was supposed to happen to the first. Like, they were supposed to, like, die... Or get hurt, right? And then what would the second do? The second just mas- basically sets the rules of the duel. Like right. how so many don't paces, jump in. what are the weapons? Yeah, they, they used to. I think that stopped mid-17th century, at least in England. Um, there are some famous duels. There's a famous duel where um, the two lords kind of ended up killing each other. And then the second spread a rumor that the other second actually killed one of them. Mm. So it's revenge. They're there for, you know, light, light revenge on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. So you could, yeah, you could have a second kind of be a wild card. But it was kind of like everything that I read about seconds was so interesting because it was so far removed from what I thought they were supposed yeah. to do. Yes. They're just basically supposed to make sure everything is like up to code. I mean, I still think going back to your billiard seconding, <laughs> it still feels like maybe they did think that if they fought with billiard balls, that would be the safest way. Yeah, right. And then like, it was just a lucky yeah. shot or an yeah. unlucky one. He was just like, oh, he's going to have a really bad headache. And I was like, you don't know how hard this man throw that. The other, back to my JSTOR Daily article, is it made the case that it was actually like, not just like personal honor, but like an like an economic thing, right? You essentially prove your credit credit worthiness through character, right? And so it's oh, like... that makes sense. Right? So, like, one of the ways in which, you know, these are like, you know, not like these top-line aristocrats, but like, so if you're going to prove yourself and your worth in the world of the aristocracy, then it's like, if when all you had is your honor as a gentleman, you have to keep proving it. And so it could be a threat also to your business, or your your economic interests, which then like also made a strange sort of sense when you think about right, like younger men, you know, in this case, in dangerous, right? Like he's a young man challenging an older man, and it's not just about honor, but it's also about like I am worthy in this world. Right. It's also pack mentality, right? Yeah. It's like challenging the silverback or challenging the like <laughs> alpha wolf. Like <sighs> we're all just animals. Shells, did I know you did a lot of research too? Because I saw you talking about it. Did we hit all of your? Did, what is like the thing that you really were hoping to say and you haven't had a chance to talk about it yet? 
I think kind of we did hit pretty much everything. I think the only thing that makes me kind of laugh is that I wrote duels are miscommunication. (laughs) Sure. And which I do firmly believe after reading about how seconds are primarily supposed to be mediators. Um, And and so that's, I don't know, people say that they hate miscommunication in romance. But if you just picture someone with a sword, you can't hate that. (laughs) I love it. Don't hate it. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Yeah. I had so much fun reading, right, reading these books and really thinking about, like, duels to me, it always seemed like just, like, kind of mere plot devices, right? And it was really Uh interesting, though, to think, especially since I read so many different ones, what that plot device was really doing. And, like, so, you know, I read this Joanna Lindsay where the sort of, like, you know, repeated kind of duels had one reason for being, and then Dangerous almost felt like it was sort of saying, like, wink, wink at that whole plot, and it was really fun to kind of put all that together. I love it. Chell, thank you so much. We have really taken more of your time than we expected to or that we than we than we asked you to give us, but this was so much fun. I'm such an admirer of you and your work and I'm so grateful that you were able to come on the podcast with us and talk about this fun thing. This was extremely fun. I will never ever stop thinking about duels. <laughs> Thank you. We think they're timely and topical. We we would like to see them in your current romances you're writing, everybody. Bring yeah, back the duel. Yeah, if you're out there writing romance novels going, I don't know, should I write a duel? Yes, categorically. Um, we So you're listening to Fate of Mates, everyone. I'm Sarah McLean. I'm here with Jen Prokop. Um, tell us about your favorite duels in romances in uh, comments on this post at fatedmates.net on Instagram at FadedMatesPod, on Twitter at FadedMates. Follow Chell yeah. at Chell's underscore ebooks Is it? at TikTok. Yes. Um, and where can they find your Substack? Uh, so it's The Loose Cravat um, on Substack. It's thelooseCravat.substack.com. Why did that take me so long to think of? I don't know. We'll put Ooh. everything on show notes, everybody. Yeah. yeah. So you okay. can head over there and check it out. Um, Charles, you're the best. Please come again. Thank you. This was so fun.